Welcome to the January 14th, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today's podcast covers recent research that provides new insights in erythropoiesis, mastocytosis, and chronic active EBV. First, we'll review a report describing how interactions between an E3 ubiquitin ligase and a heterochromatin-associated protein may serve as a toggle of sorts to regulate the formation of red blood cells. Next, researchers find that presence of hereditary alpha-tryptosemia may predict risk of severe anaphylaxis in patients with mastocytosis. Finally, we'll review a report revealing large numbers of myeloid-derived suppressor cells in patients with EBV-associated T and natural killer cell lymphoproliferative disorders, which may have important implications for understanding disease pathogenesis and targeted approaches to therapy. Let's start with the article entitled, FBX011 mediated proteolysis of BAHD1 relieves PRC2-dependent transcriptional repression in erythropoiesis by Peng Zhu and Mitchell Weiss and colleagues from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, and Munich, Germany. In this article, the authors characterize FBOX-only protein 11, or FBX011, as an E3 ubiquitin ligase that drives erythropoiesis by eliminating the BAHD1 transcriptional repressor. By way of background, protein degradation pathways play key roles in the development of red blood cells. The primary pathway for cellular protein degradation is the ubiquitin proteasome system. Several E3 ubiquitin ligases are known to regulate various aspects of erythropoiesis. However, there are hundreds of other ubiquitin ligases expressed in erythropoiesis, the function of which are unknown. Consequently, Zhu and colleagues conducted CRISPR-Cas9 screens to identify the ubiquitin proteasome or epigenetic components that may regulate erythroid maturation. They found that the E3 ubiquitin ligase FBX011 is a master regulator of erythroid gene transcription and development. In particular, FBX011 activated erythroid genes by targeting bromo-adjacent homology domain-containing 1, or BAHD1, a protein associated with heterochromatin. Through degradation of BAHD1, FBX011 relieved transcriptional repression mediated by polycomb repressive complex 2, or PRC2. Furthermore, they found that loss of BAHD1 or PRC2 at erythroid gene promoters was associated with elimination of trimethylated histone H3 lysine 27, enhanced GATA1 occupancy, and high-level gene expression. In their research article, Zhu and co-authors state that the newly discovered FBX011 BAHD1 axis links the ubiquitin proteasome system with regulation of the polycomb pathway and cell fate during erythropoiesis. Regulation of cell fate by ubiquitin ligases is an emerging paradigm in biology. In their accompanying commentary, Tice C.J. Verhurl and Jacques Philipson of Erasmus University Medical Center Rotterdam in the Netherlands described the FBX011 BAHD1 axis as a potential toggle to regulate erythroid output in the bone marrow. If that's the case, these findings could have implications for the clinical course and treatment of the perturbed erythropoiesis associated with myelodysplastic syndromes or polycythemia vera. 
They also note that some of the other BAHD1 interacting proteins not studied in the current paper provide additional avenues for further investigation. For instance, the histone methyl transferases EHMT1 and EHMT2 repress fetal hemoglobin in adult red cells. Therefore, repurposing the FBX011 BAHD1 axis to modulate EHMT1 EHMT2 activity may reactivate fetal hemoglobin expression, thus providing a strategy to ameliorate the course of patients with beta hemoglobinopathies. However, the investigations to date have left many questions unanswered. For example, Zhu and co-investigators found that in FBX011-depleted erythroblasts, expression of erythroid genes was only partially rescued by suppression of BAHD1. That means FBX011 likely targets additional proteins that repress gene expression. In their editorial, Verhurl and Philipson added that further studies might seek to identify relationships between FBX011 and other repressive complexes other than polycomb that may play a role in the transition of progenitor cells to mature red blood cells. Overall, the findings of the investigations by Zhu and colleagues demonstrate that the E3 ubiquitin ligase facilitates erythropoiesis via degradation of BAHD1, a heterochromatin-associated protein. This degradation relieves transcriptional repression of erythroid genes mediated by PRC2. These findings may apply to the activities of FBX011 in multiple tissues and possibly to the activities of other E3 ubiquitin ligases. Next, let's turn to an article from George Greiner and Gregor Herman from the Medical University of Vienna and colleagues entitled, Hereditary Alpha Tryptosemia is a Valid Genetic Biomarker for Severe Mediator-Related Symptoms in Mastocytosis. In this report, the authors report a strong association between mastocytosis and a concurrent diagnosis of hereditary alpha tryptosemia, or HAT. Furthermore, patients with mastocytosis who also had HAT were at increased risk for hymenoptera venom allergy and other severe mediated-related symptoms. Mastocytosis is a hematologic neoplasm associated with a variable clinical course. Although many patients experience mediator-related signs and symptoms, to date, there have been no biomarkers available to help predict which patients are at risk of severe symptoms or potentially life-threatening anaphylactic reactions. However, serum tryptase is a useful marker for mast cell activation and of mast cell burden in systemic mastocytosis. And during severe anaphylaxis, mast cells release tryptase in large amounts, causing a substantial increase in serum tryptase as compared to baseline. HAT is a recently described condition associated with elevated basal serum tryptase levels. Elevated serum tryptase is found in approximately 5% of the general population and is related to increased copy number of the alpha tryptase encoding gene, TPSAB1. Affected individuals with HAT may exhibit an array of symptoms, including cutaneous flushing, pruritus, chronic pain, and arthralgias, gastrointestinal dysmotility, dysautonomia, and connective tissue abnormalities such as joint hypermobility are also common, and patients may exhibit features overlapping with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and Ehlers-Danlos syndrome type 3. In the present study, Greiner and colleagues sought to determine whether alpha-tryptase encoding TPSAB1 copy number gains characteristic of HAT had clinical relevance in a cohort of patients with mastocytosis 
They use digital PCR to assess TBS-AB1 germline copy number variants in 180 patients with mastocytosis, as well as 180 sex-matched control subjects, and 720 individuals who had other myeloid neoplasms. 61 patients with mastocytosis in an independent validation cohort were also studied. They found that 17.2% of patients with mastocytosis had TPS-AB1 copy number gains consistent with HAT, compared to just 4.4% of the control population, which was a statistically significant difference. Basal serum tryptase levels were significantly higher in mastocytosis patients with, as compared to those without HAT, at 49.6 versus 34.5 nanograms per mil, respectively. Among mast cell disease subtypes, HAT was more often observed in patients with indolent or smoldering systemic mastocytosis compared to those with advanced disease or cutaneous mastocytosis. Of note, Hymenoptera venom allergy was significantly more common in mastocytosis patients with HAT as compared to those without the genetic trait, at 30% and 9.9% respectively. Similarly, severe cardiovascular symptoms such as hypotension and anaphylaxis were seen in 35.5% of mastocytosis patients with HAT, compared to just 11% without it. HAT was not enriched in prevalence among the 720 patients with other myeloid neoplasms, confirming its unique association with mastocytosis. Finally, in the validation cohort of 61 patients, TPS-AB1 copy number gain was observed in 21.3% of subjects, confirming the high frequency of HAT in mastocytosis. Taken together, these results suggest that HAT is a novel emerging biomarker that is potentially useful for determining the individual risk of severe anaphylaxis in an individual mastocytosis patient. In an accompanying commentary, Jason Gottlieb from the Stanford Cancer Institute said these results were strikingly similar to findings recently published independently in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology by Jonathan Lyons and colleagues from the NIH, who first described HAT in 2016. In that study, risk for severe anaphylaxis was similarly associated with inherited differences in TPS-AB1 copy number in patients with systemic mastocytosis as well as severe hymenoptera venom allergy and idiopathic anaphylaxis. Now that a link has been established between HAT and mastocytosis, further research is needed to determine whether the number of germline copies of TPS-AB1 may confer a genetic predisposition for the later development of mastocytosis, according to Gottlieb. In addition, he said basic research investigations should be anticipated. For example, whether alpha-tryptase expression level modulates mast cell homeostasis and neoplastic mast cell growth. Gottlieb indicates that there are also practical questions that may need to be addressed regarding how to sequence diagnostic testing. For example, in a patient with mildly elevated baseline serum tryptase, should screening for HAT be prioritized over a bone marrow biopsy to rule out systemic mastocytosis? Also, since a serum tryptase level of 20 nanograms per mil is a minor diagnostic criterion for a diagnosis of systemic mastocytosis, should a correctant factor for the serum tryptase level be applied in patients with HAT? Such questions are also relevant to systemic mastocytosis patients undergoing therapy since the serum tryptase level is the most reliable blood marker of treatment response. Overall, results of the study by Greiner and co-authors provide robust evidence for an association between HAT and mastocytosis and severe mediator symptoms. 
These results warrant further study to determine whether TPS-AB1 copy number gains play a direct role in the pathogenesis of mastocytosis. The final research report is entitled, Characterizing EBV-Associated Lymphoproliferative Diseases and the Role of Myeloid-Derived Suppressor Cells by Paul Collins and Claire Shannon Lowe of the University of Birmingham and their colleagues from the United Kingdom. The investigators used a novel multicolor flow cytometry technology that revealed large numbers of myeloid-derived suppressor cells in patients with EBV-associated T and natural killer cell lymphoproliferative disorders. It's a finding that could have important implications for understanding disease pathogenesis and targeted approaches to therapy. In rare cases, Primary Epstein-Barr virus infection leads to chronic active EBV, which is characterized by severe symptoms such as fever, splenomegaly, and lymphadenopathy that may persist for several months or more. While some patients with chronic active EBV have an indolent disease course, other cases are rapidly progressive and may include serious complications such as liver failure, gastrointestinal involvement, such as ulceration or perforation, and hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, or HLH. Corticosteroids and other immunosuppressive agents may address symptoms, but the only curative therapy is allogeneic stem cell transplantation. In Western countries, patients with chronic active EBV usually present with disease involving B cells, and in regions including Central or South America and Southeast Asia, disease involving T and natural killer cells is predominantly reported. T-cell chronic active EBV is often more aggressive with inferior survival compared to NK-cell chronic active EBV. However, the latter is more likely to transform into aggressive NK-cell leukemia or extranodal lymphoma. While B-cell chronic active EBV is linked to impaired cellular immunity, the pathogenesis of T and NK-cell-associated disease is less well understood. These patients generally do not have pre-existing immune impairment suggesting that expected T-cell responses are missing or somehow inhibited. To better study this and other issues raised by the varying presentations of chronic active EBV, the authors developed an innovative protocol combining multicolor flow RNA cytometric analysis with cell surface and intracellular staining, allowing them to better characterize EBV-infected cells plus a range of markers relevant to B, T, and NK cells. They applied this protocol to five patients initially diagnosed with chronic active EBV or EBV-related HLH. They found that two patients had B-cell infection, while three had monoclonal T or NK-cell infections. EBV infection of T-cells was confined to memory cells, which expressed high levels of CD38 and KI67, indicating increased activation and proliferation of virus-infected cells. Surprisingly, Collins and colleagues found that a consistent feature of blood samples was the identification of large numbers of myeloid-derived suppressor cells that, in in vitro assays, had the ability to suppress T-cell responses. Myeloid-derived suppressor cells were found in low levels in healthy donor blood, but outnumbered lymphocytes in three of the five patient blood samples. The cells expressed CD11B, CD15, CD16, and CD33 and were negative for CD14 and HLA class 2, consistent with the immunophenotype of myeloid-derived suppressor cells. Compared to healthy individuals, patient plasma samples had high concentrations of growth factors and cytokines, 
which may drive the expansion and activity of myeloid-derived suppressor cells. The concentration of arginase-1 was higher in patient plasma samples compared to healthy donors, which is interesting, since T-cells depend on L-arginine and are sensitive to arginase-1-related arginine depletion, according to the investigators. Of note, myeloid-derived suppressor cells from these patients significantly inhibited T-cell expansion as compared to myeloid-derived suppressor cells from healthy individuals. Although not specifically studied here, investigators said it's also possible that myeloid-derived suppressor cells could inhibit antiviral T-cell responses, allowing persistence of EBV-infected cells. The expansion of myeloid-derived suppressor cells in the blood of patients with chronic active EBV is an exciting finding that deserves further study. According to the authors of the accompanying commentary, Dabatam Sinha and Rajiv Khanna of QIMR Berghofer Medical Research Institute in Brisbane, Australia, they raise the question of whether targeted strategies can be developed to eliminate myeloid-derived suppressor cells without compromising antiviral immunity. Several strategies have been proposed, including the use of tumor vaccines, COX-2 inhibitors, all transretinoic acid, and CPG oligonucleotides. They cite, however, that the standard practice of using corticosteroids for treatment of EBV-associated HLH and chronic active EBV may be problematic since they can cause the loss of circulating virus-specific effector T-cells. This may allow the expansion of infected cells after the completion of treatment, resulting in a higher probability of relapse and worse survival. Overall, authors of the study said their findings could have major implications for therapy in part because the flow RNA assay would allow for detailed analysis of how the number and function of EBV-infected T and NK cells impact disease outcome and relapse after treatment, with additional insights on the role of myeloid-derived suppressor cells in these patients. A more targeted approach to treatment may be possible without resorting to stem cell transplantation. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.